All right, friends. You suggest recording in Good. Perfect. Awesome. All right, good. Yeah, it's always good to, to mention that. All right, friends, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. This is Monday, June 7th. And we are going to study a brand new Torah portion this week, which is Korach. Well, it's not brand new, like never before seen, but it's brand new for us this year. And every year, every time we study it, we certainly get more um, new, new and additional insights. So let's jump in. And to do this, I'm going to share my screen with you. So let's get started. Okay, this is uh, Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 16. Verse number one, I'm going to read. We'll do some Rashis. We'll do some commentaries. We'll get some insights, hopefully, that we can bring into our own lives. So we begin with the, the name of the Torah portion, Korach. Right? This, that's the guy, Korach. In English, it seems that they're writing it without the C, Korach. But I'm going to go with the Ch, just because that's his name. Korach, the son of Yitzar, the son of Kahat, the son of Levi. So let's, again, we have a bit of a family tree here. So we're talking about Korach, his father, Yitzar, his grandfather, Kahat, his great-grandfather, Levi. Levi being one of the 12 tribes, one of the original 12 sons of Jacob. So his great-grandson was Korach. So what did he do? He took himself to one side. That means that he separated himself from the congregation. He pulled himself away from everybody else, along with Datan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pelet, descendants of Reuben. Of Reuben. So Korach, along with Datan, Abiram, and On, the son of Pelet, so they all formed this breakaway rebellion, this breakaway, breakaway group. They confronted Moses. Uh, by the way, it says that, that the other, um, the other um, rabble-rousers, the other instigators, were descendants of Reuben. The reason for this, I've shared with you in previous sessions, is significant. Because Korach lived, when, when you had the Mishkan set up, so there were Jews living on the east, south, west, and north around the Mishkan. So Korach lived, his family, Kahat, lived on the south. And to the south also, further south, was the tribe of Reuben. So that's where we get the statement, which I've shared before, woe to the wicked and woe to his neighbor. Right? Korach is a bad apple. I mean, he's, you know, I'm not, you know. Korach, you know, turns rogue and he gets his neighbors to join with him. Other, not other, but descendants of Reuben. Anyway, so it's proximity, it's geography sometimes that gets people schlepped into negative behaviors. Let's continue. So, the, so basically the power of environment, the power of community, the power of friends and acquaintances. So what happened? They, this group, this small group, confronted Moses together with 250 men from the children of Israel. So they recruited. So once you have like a core group, they recruited more. Now they have a, a few hundred people together. So they confront Moses together with 250 men from the children of Israel, chieftains of the congregation, representatives of the assembly, men of repute. These were important people that they had roped into this rebellion. And they assembled against, that's a key word there, they, as they assembled against Moses and Aaron. 
I mean, we have other keywords, right? Confronted, against, assembled against. We have the idea that he took himself to the side. All right, we see clearly where this is headed. And they assembled against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves. For the entire congregation are all holy, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you raise yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Who died and made you king is essentially what they said to Moses. Why are you all, you know, all, um, uh, you know, we're the ones in charge and we're the ones that make decisions and blah, blah, blah. And we're the, why are you, who, who said that you're in charge? Who said that you guys have, why do you have so much power? Moses is the leader. Aaron is the high priest. Why do you raise yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Now, what it sounds like is power to the people. The entire congregation are all holy. Everyone's holy. The Lord is in their midst. And what that means is at Sinai, God spoke to all of us. God gave us all the Torah and the mitzvot. We have the same set of laws. I wear the same tefillin as you wear. We light the same Shabbat candles as each other. So why are, you, why are you in charge? At the same time, we also know that Korach wanted to be in charge. But this was his way of overthrowing power so that he could jump into it, as is the technique of many um, leaders of rebellions and revolts over the years, populist revolutions. Many of those ended up seeking power for themselves in the void of the power that they overthrew. That's a classic, classic technique. So now Moses heard, he heard this, and he fell on his face. And what does that mean? It means that he was, at this point, heartbroken. And he was devastated to hear this after all of the challenges that they had been together, together that they had been through together. You know, the challenges in Egypt, and then the Exodus, and then the splitting of the sea, and then Torah, uh, giving the Torah at Sinai, and then the sin of the golden calf, and then the building of the, of the Mishkan, and then all of the other stuff that had happened. And the journey and the and the and the complaints and the sin and the sin of the spies that we read about last week. After all this, and now they have 40 years in the desert. So you would think, 40 years, okay, at least let's get along. And now the next story is a revolt. He's finished, can't anymore. He spoke, Moses spoke to Korach and to all his company, saying, In the morning, the Lord will make known who is his and who is holy. You, you, you think, we came up with this. Hashem appointed me and, and, and my brother to, the, to these positions. So tomorrow morning, Hashem will make known who is His and who is holy. And He will draw them near to Him. And the one, who, and the one He chooses, he will, draw, he will draw near to Him. So Moses continues, Do this, Korach and his company. Take for yourselves censors. Censors are like, I think we looked it up last year actually. It's um, these fire pans with incense in it. Place fire. Oh well, yeah, they're like metal sticks with uh, with like a little bit of a like a bowl shaped at the end where you could put um, heat and, and and incense. Place fire in them and put incense upon them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses, he is the holy one. And then Moses warns them very, very prophetically and forebodingly: You have taken too much upon yourselves. Sons of Levi, you are, you are um, overreaching. That's what he says to them. Um, what's interesting is here we have again the idea of incense. 
Um, remember when the two sons of Aaron passed away? It says that they brought incense, an incense offering that was not requested of them. So we know that when you bring the incense, it could either be great or it could be devastating. And so here Moses says, bring an incense offering and if God chooses you, then great. If not, it's not going to be great. Between the lines, it's not going to be good. And then he says, you've taken too much upon yourselves, sons of Levi. Um, and that means essentially he's trying to um, appeal to the fact that they were Levites. In other words, if you look at Korach's pedigree, son of Yitzhar, who was a son of Korach, who was a son of Levi, he's from a very prominent family. And part of that is that he has responsibility in the Mishkan and the temple. So Moses saying, why not be satisfied with your role, right? You have a, you have a special role as a, as a Levi, as a, son of, uh, as a son of Levi, right? Why are you seeking the top? You've taken too much upon yourselves. Be satisfied with what you have. Okay. Moses said to Korach, continue. Please listen, sons of Levi. Is it not enough that the God of Israel has distinguished you from the congregation of Israel to draw you near to him? To perform the service in the Mishkan of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? In other words, you have all these important roles. You're distinguished. You're drawn near. You do the service. You stand before the congregation. You have all these, all these roles. That should be, isn't that enough? Be satisfied with what you have. Here we have Moses appealing to their appreciation and gratitude as opposed to their greed. He says, I know what's going on. You guys are greedy. You want more, 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 more. You want to become the greatest of the great. You want to become the leader, the supreme leader of the Jewish people, so to speak. What, what, what about the value of, of appreciating what you have and who you are? Moses continues, he, God drew you near and all your brothers, the sons of Levi with you. Right? You guys are special. And now you seek the kahuna as well. Kahuna means the priesthood. You also want to become the high priest. Because remember, they were, they were, um, they were fighting against both Moses and Aaron. They wanted the leadership. Well, they were, I mean, yeah, they wanted the leadership position as well as Korach wanted the, the, the priesthood. You want this also? Therefore, you and your entire company who are assembled are against the Lord. For what is Aaron that you should complain against him? What is Aaron that you should complain against him? What does that mean? What is, what is verse 11 saying? It's a very cryptic verse. I'll share with you a, a, an insight into it. Moses tells him that you are against God. You're acting against God trying to get the kuna, trying to get the priesthood. Why? For what is Aaron that you should complain against him? You know why Aaron was chosen? Because he didn't seek it. Because Aaron said, who and what am I? Like Aaron was humble. And that's why he was chosen to be the high priest. If you're trying to seek it, that is the antithesis of the job. The one who is high priest needs to be someone who didn't want the job. And honestly, Moses could, could, could for, the, for the same price, be talking about himself. How did Moses become the leader? At the burning bush. Remember when God stopped him at the burning bush and said, hey, can you take my people out of Egypt? Go speak to Pharaoh. And what does Moses say initially? No way. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. Me? I can't speak. 
I have an older brother, right? Sem Mashiach, he, he, every turn he said, it's not for me. And God basically forced him into it. And now, and Aaron also, Aaron was humble. Aaron didn't want to approach. We had in a previous Torah portion. When they finally inaugurated the Mishkan on the day of the inauguration, Moses says to Aaron, go. And Aaron was afraid to go. He was, he was bashful. He was embarrassed. And Moses says, it's exactly what you were chosen. Because you're not running to the podium. You're not running to the stage. That's why you're the one. And so Moses says to Korach now, you're, you're fighting against me and Aaron, me and my brother, because you seek the leadership in the priesthood. Come on. You're acting against God. For what is Aaron that you should complain against him? Aaron's quality is what? Aaron, in Hebrew, it's ma, which means what? Which means evokes nothingness. The reason why Aaron is Aaron is because, what is he? Because he's humble. But now what are you doing, Korach? You're provoking all these people against us so that you could become the leader. You're running after leadership. It's not going to end well. That's not how it works. The one who runs toward power, power runs away from them. At least it ought to. So Moses sent... Now, another act of Moses' humility. Speaking of humility, Moses is, is like... You... Okay, let, let me just pause here in the action for a second. Moses could have said, y'all are crazy and get ready to be destroyed by God. He could have just said that. He doesn't. He implores them to back, to stand down, to back off. He begs of them. He even went to a call to, to beseech Datan and Abiram. These were two people that had at every turn personally harassed Moses. From the beginning, from the story where there were two guys that were beating up, two Jews that were fighting, and Moses tried to stop the fight. And then the guy says, oh, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And he leaked the information about the Egyptian and Moses had to run for his life. That was Dutton and Abiram. Those were the two guys. From the beginning, those were, though, these were, and throughout their travels in the desert, they were always the rabble-rousers. They were always the contrarians. They were always the people trying to get under, under Moses' skin. And here they were doing it again. They were trying. Moses, in complete humility, in comp com it's not about him. It's about, you know, saving life. Moses sent to call them. Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not go up. In other words, he, he called them for a meeting. They said, we're not coming. No meeting. Is it, look at this. Is it not enough that you have brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? You know what that land is? Egypt. That's what they're calling Egypt. Yeah. Is it not enough that you've brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? That you should also ex exercise authority over us? We are not going no way, no how. Let's toggle Rashi. There's a lot. You see, there's a lot of Rashi, a lot of big Rashis over here. Rabbi? Yeah. So Egypt, both Egypt and Israel are lands of milk and honey? They called it. They fake newsed it. That's not real. It's not real, right? Of course not. Yeah. These guys are out of their minds, Dutton and Abiram. They were, they were a machine. Oh, this is the bad guys. The bad guys saying to Moses, we're not going to meet with you. You're the bad guy. You took us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert. And you think, you think we care what you say? 
What are they referring to? What land of milk and honey? Egypt? It's crazy. It, they were they they were off. They were they were mashugah. They were like, it was crazy talk, and that and that's what and that's what's going on. But look at this. Look at the look at look at verse twelve and Rashi. Moses sent. He sent to, to he went. He he was trying to get them into a meeting. So look what Rashi says from the Talmud. It's and from the Midrash. It's unbelievable. From here we derive that one should not persist in a dispute. In other words, if there's a dispute, don't let it sit. You be the one to end it. Because Moses sought them out to conciliate them with peaceful words. He didn't have to. They were the ones that started the fight, but he wanted to end it. He wanted to make peace. So one should, one should never say, well, it's not my pro- They have the issue. They caused the fight. So let them, let them sort it out. I'm going to wait until they come, you know, asking for forgiveness. It doesn't mean that Moses asked for forgiveness. He just wanted to reconcile. Like, let's, let's have a conversation. Let's, let's sort this out, right? But he wasn't too arrogant, too prideful. That's a better word. Too prideful to say, hey, I, I'm willing to take the first step. I didn't start the fight, but I'm willing to take the first step in ending it. This is the powerful lesson that we learned from Moses, again, which, which speaks to his humility. It was never about him. He didn't take it personally. He wanted a, a positive outcome for everybody. He did not want this to, to, turn, to turn negative. But, you know, by now, you and I know, and Moses knew, about every time there was a rebellion, there was a plague, you know, starting from the golden calf. Yeah, the people were forgiven, but not the people who made the calf. They died. They were killed. And what about the people who wanted meat? They were struck down. Moses and the spies were, were killed. You, you know, there's a pattern here in, in the desert times, right? Where somebody angers God in a very severe fashion. It doesn't end well. So Moses says, I, I, I really want you guys, let, let's, let's, let's find a solution here. Let's not fight. But they said no. They said no. They refused his, his uh, invitation. Reading number two for today, Numbers chapter 16, verse 14. And this is still Dutton and Abiram, those two guys still talking, still refusing to meet. You have not, to Moses, saying to Moses, you have not even brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, Israel. This is the other land flowing with milk and honey. You took us out of paradise to kill us in the desert, and you've not even brought us to the land, Israel, flowing with milk and honey. Nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. What did you do for us already? What kind of leader are you? Show me the money. We have nothing. Look at this. Even if you gouge out the eyes of those men, we will not go up. What does that mean? Rashi says, even if you send messengers to gouge out our eyes, if we do not go up with you, we will not go up. In other words, even if you threaten to hurt us if we don't meet with you, we're not going to meet with you. Now, you might be wondering, who's talking about physical coercion? <coughs> Moses didn't say, I'm going to force you to meet with me. And wouldn't, wouldn't that be the antithesis of reconciliation? Gouging out one's eyes? That would be crazy. That shows where their headspace is. Their headspace was in violence and coercion. 
Moses wanted to reconcile. Even if you poke at her eyes, we're not going to meet with you. Who's poking at your eyes? That's where your head is, not my head. <coughs> so, of course, the reaction, when Moses hears back the message, his overture of peace is rebuffed strongly, critically. Moses was exceedingly distressed. He's not angry. He's concerned. He's, he's distressed because he knows how this is going to end. And he said to the Lord, do not accept their offering. I have not taken a donkey from a single one of them, and I have not harmed a single one of them. Basically saying to God, I'm innocent in this. It ain't me. It's not on my side. Moses said to Korach, you and your entire congregation should be before the Lord, you, they, and Aaron tomorrow. In other words, if you really want to have a challenge, let's do it. We're going to have the, um, the incense challenge, right? You're... Your guys are going to take incense. My guy, Aaron, is going to take incense. And we'll see what happens. So you, so he, again, just he says to Korach, you and your entire congregation should be before the Lord. You, they, the 250 guys, and Aaron, tomorrow. Let each man take his censer, that little stick with the incense, and place incense upon it. And let each man present his censer before the Lord. Thus, sorry, there will thus be 250 censers. Plus Aaron. And let you and Aaron each take his censer. Oh, so 250 people plus you and Aaron. So each man took a censer and they put fire upon it and placed incense upon it. And they stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Korach assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared before the entire congregation. So the stage is set for the dramatic next part of the story where they show up for this incense competition, challenge, um, proving what's going on, you know, who's, who's indeed chosen and who's not chosen. All right, let's see if there's any Rashis. So who organized bringing the 250 censors? Um, Korach on his side. So he said to the 250 people, bring your censors. No, Moses said, let's, if you want to really, if, you're claiming that Aaron is not the chosen one, that I'm not the chosen one, that you guys should be the chosen ones. So then let's, then, then let's demonstrate it. So show up tomorrow with your incense, and we'll see who's offering God, God wants. In other words, if you don't believe me that I heard from God that Aaron should be the high priest, and that I, if you don't believe that, when you hurt yourselves heard at Sinai, all that stuff. But if you don't believe it, then show up and let God choose. And that's kind of what it is. So no, it was Moses. Moses called the challenge. Um, look at Rashi. Again, when, when Moses hears that his overture, his peaceful overture was rebuffed, he was exceedingly distressed. Rashi says he was very grieved, not that he was angry. He wasn't angry. He wasn't, it wasn't about him. It wasn't ego. He was grieved because he knew where this would head. Take a look at this. When, when Moses says, do not accept their offering, according to its simple meaning, Moses said, do not accept the incense that they will sacrifice before you tomorrow. According to its Midrashic interpretation, he said, I know that they have a portion in their daily communal offerings. Let their portions not be accepted favorably before you. Let the fire leave it and not consume it. Anyway, 
what we see here is that Moses was trying to, to, to have a peaceful end, but at some point called for this competition. Right? Let each man present a censer. That refers to, as Rashi says, the 250 men. Okay. Oh, and then, and then verse 19 is interesting. Korach assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and then God appeared to them. So, and this is like the cliffhanger for tomorrow. But look at Rashi. Korach assembled against them with words of mockery. All that night, Korach went to the tribes and enticed them, saying, Do you think I care only for myself? I care for you. I care for all of you. These people come and take all the high positions, the kingship for himself, the kahuna, the priesthood for his brother. And he, that's what he was saying. He was saying, these people are against you. Moses and Aaron, they're against you. They took everything for themselves. What they leave you with? Just stirring, stoking the animosity. And they said that the whole night until they were all enticed, until all the people or at least a large number of the people, were sympathetic to Korach's cause. And the glory of the Lord appeared, again, in a pillar of cloud, as was God's ways. Okay, so what's the moral of the story? Um, we're going to have Wednesday night. I don't want to give too much away. We're going to have a positive spin to the story Wednesday night. So in our Torah studies class, a beautiful understanding based on the Rebbe's teachings on this. But on a simple level, we have somebody who wanted power. And his way of getting power was, he knew that if he just one day, you know, tried to overthrow Moses, he wouldn't get too far. But if he told the people, Moses doesn't care about you, he cares about himself. Aaron doesn't care about you, he cares about himself. If he could get the people angry at Moses and Aaron, that could be his way to get in. And he played the people to be part of the revolt, part of the revolution, so-called revolution, to overthrow Moses and Aaron. And this is why we understand that Korach is the embodiment of Machloket. Korach is the poster child of discord, of disharmony, of disunity, of sowing, of splitting and dividing a community. The poster child of dividing sowing hate and fear and animosity within a community itself, Korach is the poster child. And why did he do it? Just because he wanted power. It's horrible. Because one guy wants power, it causes neighbors to fight with each other. Right? But that's the way it is. Unfortunately, I'm not justifying saying, but, but we've seen this throughout history. Korach might be the first recorded in the Bible to do this, but this is the story of history where people will do whatever it takes, including turning families and communities against each other, just so that they can have a little bit more money, a little bit more fame, a little bit more power for themselves. It's horrible. We should never be blinded to the machinations, to the strategy of those who are trying to win power for themselves and willing to burn everybody down to get there. It's a cautionary tale. It's happened, as I said, throughout history. Populist revolutions, power to the people was always about the leaders of that revolution. Anyway, it's something, something that we need to be vigilant about and, and, and pay attention to. 
and never allow ourselves to be pulled into someone else's stuff because someone else wants something. I need to fight with someone else? Are you kidding me? I need to hate someone else because of this guy? Because of Korach? Korach says, I should hate. I should hate Moshe, I should hate Aaron, I should hate anyone who supports them. I have to hate because of somebody? What kind of, that's not, that's not Judaism. That's not Torah. To hate my brother? Come on. That's not legit. So we have to be careful. We have to love each other, number one. And number two, be wary of those that would seek to turn ourselves against each other. All right, that's it for Daily Power Parsha. Today, we cover the first two readings. Tomorrow, we start getting into the dramatic end of Korach. It's almost like, as, at least in Torah, as quickly as he rises, he falls. And we're going to talk about the downfall at some point in the next day or two. Um, and share some, some deeper ideas. Of course, as I mentioned Wednesday night, we have a very special edition of Torah Studies where we look at this whole story from, with a positive light, a positive spin, as only the Rebbe could pull off. Um, and that is because for the Rebbe, even pushing away Korach, dismissing him, like, like what I did today, right? Like turning against Korach, what a bad guy. He tried to turn people against each other. That's the bad guy. Even that is turning against the brother. So the Rebbe sought to even, at least on some level, show Korach and the spies and others in somewhat of a positive, not to justify the behavior, but at least some sort of understanding um, to embrace also the Korach. Not to, that was Moses' approach. That was Moses' approach. To reconcile even with the Korach, even with Datan and Abiram. The Torah tells us that at a certain point, one, one man said to his fellow, let's go back and turn, turn back to Egypt. Let's appoint a new leader. That was Datan and Abiram. They, the whole time they were anti-Moses. And Moses still cared about them. So I think this is the, and that, as you, as you reminded me, that is the, the biggest message I, I would like to convey today, which is based on that Rashi, based on the Midrash and the Talmud. Even if somebody started up with us, we should have the humility, but it's really the strength. Be big enough to seek the reconciliation. Knowing that it's not good for anybody to be in conflict. Who wants to be in conflict? Ugh, it's so energy draining to be in conflict. So much important energy that we need to use for important things directed toward like not liking someone. Who needs it? Who needs it? So let's be the first ones. Let's be the ones to be, you know, take a deep breath, swallow our, swallow our pride. I don't even like that statement. But like, you know, be big enough to say, let's, let's reconcile. It's the Jewish way. It's the Moses way. It's not easy. Much easier to say they want to, they're wrong. They should apologize. That's, I mean, that's, and that, that also makes sense. I'm not saying Moses acted logically. I'm saying he acted honorably, not logically. And it's a role model. It's a, it's a, it's a tremendous um, lesson for all of us. Okay. Um, any questions, comments, other points? I have a pleasure. It kind of ties in with, the, with our Thursday course. So, so like, the Rebbe was a Sadiq. But if 
somehow he built the temple and, and brought us to Israel, then he would have became a Messiah. The Messiah. Well, that, according to Rambam, that's how you confirm that someone who you think is a pretty decent candidate, right? That's how you know Mashiach has actually arrived. That's, you know, that it's, it's, it's happening. When the temple is rebuilt and when the Jews are, are gathered in. But, but he's yeah. not a Messiah. He becomes a Messiah. He changes. Pers- that's what I'm trying to figure out. He just all of a sudden. Yeah, it's kind of like Moses. We, I think I brought a source that talked about the parallel with Moses. How at the burning bush, he went from really special guy to being the official right. redeemer of the Jews. Now, obviously, God's the redeemer. But like the 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 person who's representing, you know, God in this type of thing. Which, by the way, I didn't get into in our Thursday class. Like, why do you even need somebody? Why do you even need a person? Why can't it just be a movement? And I, I don't know that I have like a solid answer other than just saying you kind of need a face. You need, you need someone. Yeah, you need, typically, you need someone at the top. That's the way it works, right? I mean, it's, it's hard not to have that. Now, Oftentimes, that becomes a point of corruption. But, of course, in the case of Moses and Mashiach, we're not talking about corruption. But, but why can't it just be that everyone becomes enlightened simultaneously and, and we all lead each other into the promised land? It's just because that's not the way real life works. You usually need, you know, a company needs a CEO, a community needs a leader, a congregation needs a rabbi. You just kind of need a figure. N- not, not for power, but just to kind of, you know, lead. And point in the right direction. We're just so. I mean, I, I can't. I can't speak for everybody, but just I feel like many of us, some of us, might be so jaded from corrupt leaders that the 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 the, the sound of or the or the thought the, the thought of like there being a leader Mashiach is like, oh man, great, someone else to like get corrupt and. But obviously, that's not. That's not. Uh, that's not, if they're legit Mashiach, that's not going to happen. It's like a Moses, right? As we saw today. But I think it ties in, right? Because you're talking about the qualities of a Moses along with the qualities of Mashiach. Yeah. How did they know Moses was Moses? When, when stuff started happening, right? We got the plagues. We got the exodus. Uh, now we know. Until then, good guy, candidate, certainly. So, yeah. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Mashiach. And that's... Uh, that's what the world needs. So you mentioned the Thursday class. This week, we're going to talk about what the world looks like when Mashiach comes, like on the ground. Yeah, we spoke about like prophecies and you know, how things are getting closer to that. But what does the world actually look like when Mashiach comes? We'll explore this based on Rambam, based on other sources. It will be very interesting. We'll talk about the miracles, Armageddon, all that stuff. Anyway, but that's for, that's for the other class. Okay, good. So um, that's it for today. The moral of the story is... Let's not create fights and let's be strong to try to end them if they somehow jump, jump out at us. Okay, um, Donna and Sandrine and Matt, it's great to see you guys. Have a wonderful day. See you guys. Shavuotov, pleasure. Shavuotov. Shavuotov.